I realized just how on different pages people were. I realized how disconnected people were from results. And I realized how many mistakes that I had made. I let my ego take charge. So going back a little bit, I wrote the first ever textbook for online fitness in 2016. From 2016 to 2020, we led the market for online fitness business training. We were basically the only serious offering because the big players just weren't interested in it. It wasn't a big enough total available market. We owned it, man. It was great. But then the shutdowns happened with the COVID-19 pandemic. And all of a sudden, the rest of the world, the rest of the fitness industry needed what we had and what we were uniquely positioned as literally the best in the world to do. It was a proverbial four-leaf clover shoved up my ass. It's the weirdest thing ever to admit. The pandemic was like, if you could have taken a step back and you're like, what is the most random, most unexpected, best thing to happen to this exact business? It's exactly what happened, which is really messed up to admit because so many people were in pain. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In this episode, you're going to learn how an education business, mostly online, went from losing money to profiting a few million dollars in a year by doing something that they had done before but forgot and then did again, and this time it was successful again. They actually fired the entire staff, did something quite drastic, and now they're happy to report about the success. So <laughs> my guest today is the CEO of that business, the CEO of the PTDC, the Personal Training Development Center. It's an education business, as you guessed, trained more than 100,000 trainers, sold more than 250,000 books and courses. I'm also happy to say he's a friend, but I am going to challenge him like I challenge any other guest, no friendship in for an hour. And he also happens to have my dream body. So don't tell him that. Jonathan Goodman, oh, you're here. Okay, welcome. Bonjour. Let's retrieve the story a bit. So I think the first thing to say is we worked together for a bit of time. So I have some insider view on what happened to the business, a little, little view. You have most of it. Right before we started recording, you said something. You were working on a book deal. And can you repeat what you said about the very first sentence of that new book? Oh, so I'm working on the final touches of the book proposal. Yes. And what my agent wanted me to put in was like a personal story that talks about, hey, how did the stuff in the book is called The Obvious Choice, which is the same name in my podcast. How did this stuff in the book impact your business and your life? And I was like, holy shit, I've got a story to tell here, man. I didn't even think about it. It wasn't even the book. And so the first line of the book is, I'll never forget the moment I realized I had to fire all of my staff. So tell me that moment. When was that? We were on a call together. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that was the moment. I'm not playing naive here, by the way. I didn't know that was the moment. No, that was the moment. We want to call together. So we work together. You and I, obviously, you know that. But we worked together for, what, three months, four months, something like that. And that was the end of a long, painful journey where we had tried to hire all these consultants. Basically, we tried to hire all these consultants for solutions before we actually understood what our problem was. And we tried so hard to increase the conversions of a landing page by 1%. So that ain't going to make a fucking difference. All of these solutions and all of these great consultants, and they did what we hired them to do. But we were hiring them thinking about the solutions, not working backwards from the problems. 
And before we hired you, I remember having a conversation with you and challenging you. I was just like, so everybody here tells us that they're going to make all of our dreams come true. Like I call bullshit. What are we doing here? And we ended up working with you. And the last call, because you forced us to really ask questions, the last call actually was our head of marketing, our general manager, and our creative director were swearing at each other on the call. I was so awkward. It felt <laughs> the, like, I, I'm happy to say it was the most uncomfortable call I have ever been on as a business owner, like helping others. Honestly, you could feel, even though we were on Zoom, you were all in mostly Canada and I was in Dublin and I can still smell the fucking tension in the air. And it was unreal. I didn't even know how to handle it. So before we go more into that story, just let's set the context. At the time, the PTDC had roughly how many people in the team? Oh God, 15, 10, 15, somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly how many was there, but we also work with a lot of contractors and full-time contractors right. and coaches. So, so if you look at everybody who was working for us, it was close to 30, but... Okay, okay, yeah. so close to 30. And you don't have to say the exact figure far from it, but roughly... How much revenue are we talking about for the business? Three, three and a half million. Okay. If I had to like simplify what you do, you sell, you help personal trainers to build online businesses. We support people who work in fitness is the way that I describe it. And so there's, at that point, there was basically three arms to the business. There is book publishing. So I've self-published books. I've sold like 180, 190,000 self-published books to the people who work in fitness. There's certification. So we built the first ever certification for online fitness. And then there's mentorship, which is a higher level. And the mentorship is a very interesting bit because it was like the bastard stepchild of our business for a couple of years. But it was also providing all of the profit and the cash to run the rest of their business. And we were like ignoring it. And one of the big changes that we made was realizing like, nah, this is actually the business. Why don't we put this front and center? So we talked about that. And now we've since built a software platform as well. So we also own a software platform with about 30,000, 31, 32,000 users in the first year. So let's go to that call. What in that call, it was the last call that we had. And we had a few calls where we basically, I was giving you actual homework to do actual real fucking exercise to do. And then you had two weeks or a week to get shit done. And then I would ask you why the fuck isn't it done or it's not good enough or whatever. And so that was the last call. And so what made you realize, actually, I'm going to have to start over? I think I just realized that we were working really, really hard on all of the wrong things. It wasn't necessarily that call. I mean, that call was when things came to a climax, for sure. I realized just how on different pages people were. I realized how disconnected people were from results. And I realized how many mistakes that I had made. I let my ego take charge. So going back a little bit, I wrote the first ever textbook for online fitness in 2016. From 2016 to 2020, we led the market for online fitness business training. We were basically the only serious offering because the big players just weren't interested in it. It wasn't a big enough total available market. We owned it, man. It was great. But then the shutdowns happened with the COVID-19 pandemic. And all of a sudden, the rest of the world, the rest of the fitness industry needed what we had and what we were uniquely positioned as literally the best in the world to do. It was a proverbial four-leaf clover shoved up my ass. It's the weirdest thing ever to admit. The pandemic was like, if you could have taken a step back and you're like, 
what is the most random, most unexpected, best thing to happen to this exact business? It's exactly what happened, which is really messed up to admit because so many people were in pain. And so the first week that the shutdowns happened in March of 2020, we did 5,600 sales of our products and courses in the first week. It was just like, and that's good. Whoosh. And like no advertising, like no advertising. It was just everybody who was interested or had already been listening to our thing, all of a sudden now, this was the most important thing in the world for them. And then the rest of the industry started to catch up and everybody with 10,000 Instagram followers became a business coach, which is fine because the total available market was still artificially high. And so we were fine, but I got all cocky. And I started doing what I thought that you should do in business, which is I'm going to read scaling up. I'm going to read the EOS system. I'm going to implement all of these things, which all these fucking books are made for companies that are way bigger. Like nobody, none of this stuff is for most people who run businesses, let's be honest, which is why I'm writing the book that I'm writing right now. And so I started doing all these things, and then I wanted to brag to my buddies that I hired all these fancy people away from other companies. So I started hiring all these expensive staff, the VP of product from this big company, the head of marketing from that big company, and I'd be paying these people $150,000, $200,000 a year or more. And what I didn't realize is that these people were absolutely the right people, but I was hiring them for the wrong job. They were the right butts in the wrong seats. I was hiring them to work in a very small, very nimble, very aggressive company where everybody had to be thinking about the bottom line, where everybody had to be thinking about, hey, what you are doing, how is that going to affect revenue and quality of product? These people were coming from huge organizations where they were somewhere in the middle where if they did their job, somebody else paid attention to all that other stuff. Super smart people, some of them, you worked with some of them, really smart people tried really hard. They just weren't the right people to work in the kind of company that I had. And so after a lot of time, we realized that. What I figured was, like, that happens a lot, that unless folks working with small companies like yours that are, as you say, aggressive and you need to really stay on top, unless they have their own business or they have their own business, unless they've experienced the actual anxiety the real fucking effort that it takes to actually get clients, close them, do the shit that needs to be done, stop planning on slides and fucking get shit done. Unless you have that, it's so difficult to actually learn it on the go. Do you agree with that? Yeah, look, there's something to be said for what got us here is not going to get us there. I'm very much a zero to one type person. I can roll up a new business, a new idea fast, dude. But when it comes to actually running the thing, I largely lose interest in it. I'll tell you the biggest change that we made is I started to focus on hiring and working with what I call, I don't know if it's an official title or not, but what I call intrapreneurs, which actually what happened after COVID was there was a huge influx of these people. And it was a really neat kind of work environment because during COVID, a lot of people tried working for themselves. They left the company they were with or they got fired or whatever, right? And they're like, okay, I'm going to start my own business. It's going to be easy. And then they realize just how goddamn hard it is to run their own business. But they're still entrepreneurial minded. And so I started pulling these people and basically saying, hey, I'm going to handle or our business is going to handle a lot of the administration, a lot of the like business stuff. And you can be an entrepreneur under our umbrella. 
and changed a lot of the compensation structures. I'm just kind of in a season of my life where I don't want to be going to bed around payroll time thinking, shit, how the hell am I going to meet payroll? We've never actually been negative. We've only had years in the black, but we came close. And the thing that people don't understand is that if you make three, call it $3.5 million, and your expenses are three, that's not even month after month, which means that the cash management, making sure that the payroll each month becomes a really stressful task. And you got to pay people. And so this way, the way that I changed the incentivization is payrolls, no problem. Because if our sales are down a little bit because it's summer season and sales in the fitness industry are always down a little bit in the summer, that's fine. Our expenses are down too. We'll chill a little bit. Knowing that there's seasons to it. So that's the big change that you made. Let me go back to the when we first started together. And I had the advantage of being new and so I could see things for where they were, or at least I thought, right? So, <laughs> so what did you think? <laughs> if I had to summarize the biggest problem from my perspective, it was that you were drowning in insight, drowning in information. You actually didn't fucking know what to do anymore. And it was so striking. You had so many slides and reports, and I only asked a few, and I know you had way, way more. So you were so much into it that you couldn't see anything anymore, which is very common, right? Everybody was scared to do anything because we had so much data. We had done so many really in-depth customer experience interviews, and we also became scared. There was a number of staff, this is a whole different conversation, but there was a number of staff that I imagine this is a much bigger problem at bigger companies who just happened to give a shit about whatever people happened to give a shit that day. And so I don't even have opinions on a lot of it, but these staff were very vocal because we have a public platform. These staff were very vocal and got very upset if we didn't immediately make a statement about how we support X cause that people are supporting that week. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I didn't even know this was happening until you brought it up. I can't go out and make a statement. I'm not educated in this thing. And so there was also that where there was just so many different people who wanted us to just be nice and say the right thing. And it came to a head. I had three copywriters writing in my voice, sifting through all of this data at one point. I'm a writer. I've written 11 books. Why the fuck are there three copywriters writing in my voice? That's what I should be doing. But we were just worried about being too nice. There was another thing that you were doing you were also in charge at the time of the curriculum of the new courses you were developing and all of that. So you were really much behind the scenes working on the critical de product development stuff. While, as you said, it was very obvious from the first time I met you, it's quite easy to see with the benefit of hindsight. But like, as you said, 11 books written, like you're very easy to talk to, like you're a great public speaker. You know how to communicate. You have a persona that people love all of that, and yet you were behind the scenes, right? So you were drowning in insights. You were afraid as a team of doing anything that rocks the boat, that stands the fuck out in some way, shape or form. And that turned out to be like, everyone was bringing their own color and then it turned out gray, right? Like when you mix everything together, it's just gray. Yeah. And then the last thing was that. Let me add one thing to that. So at that point, we thought what was gonna save our company was to do more of what wasn't already working. Yeah, optimize the funnel another time. 
So there's the TV show South Park, right? One of the most famous episodes is the Underwear Gnomes episode. And what happens is there's a series of underwear gnomes who steal underwear. And it goes, step one, collect underpants. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. And at one point, what happens is the underwear gnomes become so good at stealing underwear that they just keep doing that because that's just what they've always done. They never think about how that's actually going to turn into profit. They just steal more fucking underwear. This is what happened. We became so good at online education. We're like, clearly what's going to get us out of this is more online education. Let's just build more courses. It's like, well, not enough people are buying a course over here that costs $2,000. And we think the solution is to build four new courses that are going to cost $200 each. Nobody did the math on it. We just jumped right into doing it because it was what we were good at. And the second I sat down and did the math, I was like, this is how many customers we need. This is like a hundred times increase in customers in order to make this work. It just, it made no sense. But we were running in all different directions. So I wanted to add that too, because I, I don't know anybody listening, whether that type of idea, I see this with content all the time. We're always creating content. Well, it's your content has literally never worked. But you have a business. So what has worked before to actually get customers? It gets to a point where like creating content's really hard, but then you get to a point where you can do it. And then you just keep doing it, even though it's never actually worked. And then you say, oh, how can I do this better? It's like, you don't need pretty pictures. Like it's never worked. Trying to get something that's never worked to start to work is a way of harder problem to overcome than figuring out what's already worked and just doing more of that. So if we go back in time and look at the birth of the company, you started it in 2011. So my first 11. book, I started writing in 2009, but the website started 2011. And so at that time, what was it? What were you doing? Were you just writing articles as a blog? I was personal training 10 to 12 hours a day. And I was getting home at 9.30 at night and I would write an article for the website. And I published every Tuesday and Thursday come hell or high water on this website. And you did that for how long? Ah, uh, God, seven, eight years. I mean, that website has over 1,500 free articles on it. It's had, I pulled the stats for the first time ever. It's had 17 million unique visitors. At its peak, we had 4 million a year. And this is like an industry niche blog. There's only 300,000 some personal trainers in the United States, like for context, <laughs> right? We were the go-to platform for the industry. But at that point in 2011, I was personal training in a little boutique gym in Toronto. And then I was going home to my one bedroom apartment. I was writing about what I was doing. And then I started publishing other people as well, because I realized that there were other people who had good ideas. So I'm going on the Wayback Machine now to the sites <laughs> oh, where God, you can see, you know. No, no, I am because, it's fun, you right? know, to go back to your point on what can you do that worked? What yeah. can you, you know, that's exactly what it is. Because if we had to summarize what you've done, and again, in hindsight, it sounds fucking obvious or duh, but you basically had forgotten as the founder, yeah. as a team, what had worked yeah. and started to optimize the house of cards, really. So if you look at the website, if you, folks listening can go, it's theptdc.com. And it looks exactly like you expect from a website in uh, a decade ago, which is a bit less polished with like stock pictures and shit like that. But it's mad to see that you've done that on your own for a while, right? You started to have 
contributors after, but like you've built that fucking thing, that niche website on your own writing articles. And I was the editor for four or five years, but I started a different Gmail account for the editor that I controlled because I realized that all of our readers were messaging us wanting to write for us and most of them were terrible writers and we had to say no, but I didn't want to say no was me. So I pretended like there was a mysterious editor behind the scenes who turned all these people down. But to your point of the way back, I have a good story about that. So after we worked with you, our sales page for the Online Trainer Academy for the certification course just got so fluffy and superficial and nice and kind, and it wasn't converting at all. And you know what I did after we worked with you? I don't think I ever told you this. I went back to our stats and I looked at the best launches we ever did because we had multiple, multiple million dollar launches to that program. And I went back to the best launches we ever did. And I went to the best launch we ever did. I went to the Wayback Machine found the sales page and just put that sales page right back up. <laughs> and conversion rate went up again. It's been that program still. To think like to have a 10 year old course on the internet and to have it still sell week after week, month after month. It's like being a fucking dinosaur. Like it's old. It's unheard in, of. Yeah. It's unheard of. Well, we still, we update it, but the course was designed to be based off of timeless principles because in business, that's what matters. And gives a shit about the algorithm. If you understand how humans operate, you know why humans use social media. It doesn't matter what the social media platform is. It's the humans who use it that matter. You did that blog on your own, wrote your committee to it like an animal. Almost no one can do that, but you had the... I pretended that people cared a lot more than they did. I was like, oh, if I don't get this up and email it out for 6 a.m. on Tuesday, people will notice. It's like, nobody's reading this shit. Nobody will notice. But I, well, clearly, they started to, right? They started and to. Your discipline, I think what you've learned from discipline of training, you apply that to online, like discipline of writing, the discipline of doing the reps, right? Which is the name of your, it's all the same. Of your newsletter as well, right? You did the reps. Well, it's, it's rep by rep, day by day. People become so obsessed with trying to find the best way to do something these days. What I am trying to help more people understand is that even if you find the best, you won't even recognize that it's the best and you'll change anyway. And I can guarantee you that there are a huge amount of lowercase GE good enough ways to do something. And so the job then is figuring out what your good enough is and doing that consistently for long enough for compounding to take effect. My first blog that I created in what French was, was 13 years ago. It was wow. called Le Grenier du Net, the attic of the web, because Grenier, okay. it means attic in French. Don't know if you know. Okay. I, um, I, I did. Yeah, so 13 years, right? Okay. And that's yeah. exactly it. I stopped and started again, but I've done the reps over and over again, and I can completely connect with that. It just takes such a long time. So, okay, you right. did that on your own. You did the reps. You faked being having multiple people in the team. <laughs> you started to invite, to add individual and contributors. Only that one time. Only that one time. Uh, yes. <laughs> and so when was, when did you start selling stuff? Pretty early on. So 2011, I started doing some affiliate promotions to make a bit of revenue. And then 2012, I hosted my first seminar. How I started was I started hosting little seminars. Like I said, I was working at a little boutique gym in Toronto. They let me, nobody was there on the Sunday and Saturday, like afternoon. So they let me use the space. And so I just like people who wrote for the website, I fly them in and I get them to speak and I asked a buddy to film it. And we put on a seminar. So I think the first thing I ever did was called the Becoming the Expert Seminar. 60, 70 people in a gym's exercise room. And we filmed it. And I turned it into DVDs and I used a print-on-demand service called Vervante 
to sell the DVDs. That's when you know you're old because you've been selling DVDs. Because you were selling DVDs. And so I did that a few times. I did three seminars like that, pretty small. And I sold them as DVDs. We did one, the Ultimate Fat Loss Seminar. One was called Hybrid Training. And then around 2012, end of 2012, I figured out, I'm like, okay, this platform's starting to grow. Like people are listening to it. What do they need? And that was when I kind of figured out it was like actually the best way to build a product is to first build a community and platform and then figure out what they need and then build what they need versus building a product or service and being like, I'm going to do content to sell my thing. How am I going to get people to pay attention to my thing? It's actually better to get people first and then ask them what they need. And so I did 137 13-minute phone calls over the course of two months with personal trainers and 13 minutes because I did four an hour and I wanted two minutes to pee in between. And all that I did is I asked them the same questions. What are your frustrations? What are you hoping to get out of it? And overwhelmingly, I was able to nail it down to one sentence, which is trainers after about a year in their career need to figure out a way to make a bit more money in a bit less time with a bit better schedule. Overwhelmingly, they told me that if they could make 500 to $1,500 more a month, it'd be life-changing for them. Meanwhile, everybody was marketing, become a six-figure trainer. They still become a six-figure trainer. And I had all these people I spoke to who were just like, I need like 500 bucks. And one person mentioned online training. I was like, that's interesting. Never thought about that before. So I built a business model. I offered 24 people for a beta group of this business model. And I took them in and 22 finished it, took in feedback and turned them into the first ever course for online fitness business which at that point was called 1K Extra. It was about how do you make $1,000 extra based off of exactly what we talked about. 1K Extra was sold between 2013 and 2016. We did two launches a year. And every single time we took in feedback. And then we actually watched how people used and didn't use the materials. So I had my VA friend people who took the course on Facebook and watched how they were using and not using the materials. And we kept iterating on them over and over and over and over again. I hired the senior course developer from Yale University. I hired a PhD in distance course learning design to iterate on the actual learning methodology of the program, and then eventually evolved it into the Online Trainer Academy, which was the first ever textbook for online fitness in 2016. And we did some other stuff in there too. Like I hosted two conferences at the convention center in Toronto that kind of grew. We did a bunch of other digital programs and stuff, but this is like the story. You just do a whole bunch of shit and really only one of them needs to work. I've written 11 books. Sounds impressive. Only one of my books really sells. And that's the first book that I ever wrote. Sort of some thousand copies this year of a book that I wrote in 2011 and self-published. It's just like, you got to do a lot of things, but you really only need one or two of them to work. Yeah. And then when it works, you need to fucking triple down on it. And then you work at it. Yeah. So like the reason why I'm going back in time here for context for people listening is that the important thing that I found out, like from the outside perspective, was quite easy to see when we ask people, or actually we didn't ask anyone, you already had the data. I just look at the data and clearly one of the things overwhelmingly your best customers keep saying that they loved about the business, they loved you right? Because you talk the talk and they basically want you to be like you, which is... Because I've done it. It's one of the secrets of business, right? We had all of these, we had all of these people, we hired all these consultants who have never worked in fitness to tell us how we should talk to people who work in fitness. I did this. I was like, I'm that person. <laughs> like, I had to talk. But it's not just that, right? So there's many, many people like you who have done it, but you also had 
I think another set of skills that when you intersect them, it creates something quite unique, which is the fact that you can talk as well. Like some personal trainer who are very good at what they do can't talk in front of camera, right? I mean, like anyone, you also had this and you could write and you fucking put down the reps to actually get better at writing. So, But I couldn't always do. Yeah, you want to see some of the first videos I ever filmed? You want to see my first interview? You want to see you the know. first blog? Go to the Wayback Machine. Go to championlifestyle.blogspot.com. I don't want to bleed <laughs> from my eyes. But it's how you learn. But regardless, you sure. have this interest and whatever. And yeah. people recognize that. And yet, what I was seeing from you was, oh, I'm behind the scenes. I need to do this course. I need to do this, whatever. You were trying to grow the brand, like the PTDC as a brand. So you were trying to push those through social, like the logos through social and whatever. And that was very easy to say. The strategy here was three words. That's what I like about when you execute the fuck out of something, you can summarize it very, very fast. The strategy was, do you remember what it was? No. What, what I told it? you you should be doing? What was Make it? John visible. Oh, do you remember? Fine. Yeah. That's it. It's as simple as that. And I know in hindsight, people listening might be, oh yeah, duh. But it's important to recognize from your side, right? Which is you've built an incredibly successful business. You hired the right people as you thought, but yet it was so difficult to see what to do next. And in, to use another word that is quite popular nowadays, it's like personal branding. So we put you back in the center of the fucking business. And the only thing that you were tasked to do was, I need you to be on as many podcasts as possible. I need you to fucking post as many things as possible. And now do you remember your Instagram following then and now? I ignored Instagram basically. It was like 19, 20,000. And now it's nearly 200,000, right? Yeah, yeah I ignored enough. it. But I did what I thought that I should do as a successful business person. And again, this is why I'm writing the book that I'm writing now. This is how I'm pitching it. There are not business books that are written for people like me. I read everything you're supposed to read. I listened to everybody I was supposed to listen to and they sent me down the wrong path. You don't work in your business. You work on your business. You remove yourself from your business. You scale by delegating. Nah. Nah, that's not why I... I mean, some of it you do. Some of it you do delegate, right? Yeah, sure. Fine. But, but for the, the most part, one function me. of a business... I don't automate anything. The main thing that you've done is keeping the core of the business to you, which is like, at the end of the day, if there is demand and you capitalize on it, your only job is to bring fucking customers and then you serve them. I wouldn't say that's the easy part, but you don't have that many problems when you have a flood of people wanting to work with you. It gets easier. Yeah. Yes. What I realized was that the personal trainer development center or the online trainer academy or quick coach or software, all of those independently, if they try to market to generate customers for their thing, it's a very difficult problem to overcome. And I've come to accept in business that intelligent people often try really hard to solve way too hard problems when there's much easier solutions or easier problems to tackle. And a really hard problem is, how can I make this faceless, nameless brand notable and meaningful and create a community around it? It's really hard and very expensive. But if you have a personal brand, you can use that personal brand to feed everything. I don't have a single marketing person on staff, not one. I haven't run a paid ad for three years. And the only thing that I do is organic content, my personal name. Now, I'm not saying this is optimal, like we do better with paid ads, but like, yo, I'm good. Like, we're fine. Like, I want a simple business now. And 
were feeding my books, which are selling better than ever, the certification, the mentorship, and we've been able to generate 30-some thousand users of the software platform. And none of them have a single marketing person or element or team or advertising in any way. It just doesn't exist. Go to the Quick Coach Instagram account. There's nine posts. It's just like me basically saying, hey, we did this thing. It's just because everything, when you have that focus, especially around a human that people connect to around where the businesses are congruent around the purpose and the outcome and the audience and the reason for existing. Like, why are you doing this thing? And is the business congruent to the messages you're saying and what you believe in? That one person all of a sudden can feed all of these businesses. And then you can decide afterwards whether you want to grow from there. In the season of my life with two young kids, I'm good. <laughs> Maybe at one point I'll decide to go hard again. I don't know. You'll figure it out. But like, I remember the exercise we did briefly as well to go back in time and to see why the fuck are you doing this? Why? Because you were, I don't know if burning out I was say? the right... What did I say? Well, I don't think you knew at the point, at this point, right? I think everyone was a bit lost and burnt out or at least mentally very tired. And so... I hired very skilled people who were older and more mature and had been in business for much longer than me, who came from companies I admired, who had high-ranking positions at these companies. And I felt it was my responsibility to trust them, to do the work that they were hired and let them take the reins, even if I didn't quite agree with the decisions. I hired them because of them, because they were really smart. And I needed to give them the time to prove it. So you had a page on the website positioning statement, and it said, for personal trainers that want to achieve career and financial success, our content focus on the personal trainer's point of view, providing them all they need to know information, which transition. Uh, I think there was another page. There was another... What are you reading? I'm reading, I'm reading an, an old page that you, that oh, you had written. Oh, like the way back, like the way back yeah, machine. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, okay. don't worry, that's not your current <laughs> website. But uh, I remember that we looked at one of the pages, maybe it was the developed page, and there was an entire paragraph where it was the you basically... Page. Yeah, you were like, fuck, that's it. Actually, that's what we need to fucking yeah. say. But we had forgotten. So that was a good moment. Let's talk about a bit of action. It was the product page. It was the page that listed all of the things we sold. And at the top of it was a picture of my face that basically said, all of these things are things that I've either built or I really support. And I give my word that they're only of the highest quality. So let's talk practically about the steps you took because it's one thing to talk the talk and say all of those stuff. Like it was very easy for me to come in and say, this is what you should be doing. I had the very easy job. You had a difficult fucking job of actually taking the decision and fucking putting down the reps. So beside letting go, unfortunately, of your staff and, and all of that, practically speaking, what did you do on day one, the first day of the rest of your life? This is where the story really sucks. In and around the same time that all of this was happening, my wife got diagnosed with cancer out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I felt like the walls were closing in. And I couldn't, metaphorically, I couldn't breathe. We had payroll coming up month after month. It seemed to come faster and faster each month than it did the month before. Most of our business was on payment plans. And so we were fine for the time being. 
but it was very clear that we weren't replacing canceling payment plans anywhere close to the same rate as they were canceling. And so we could look at it. I was like, okay, September, I'm screwed. December, I'm really screwed. January, I'm royally fucked. You could look at it at a calendar and be like, this company's bankrupt in January. Unless I dip into the savings and all the money I've put away over the years. But why would I do that if the trajectory is so negative? And then at the same time, all of the stuff was happening out with the family. So I just needed to create space. The first step was space to breathe. Space to breathe. And that was when I made the really hard decision to let go all of our senior staff. And that's not a decision that you, A, make lightly, like I was crying on the phone with a couple of them, because we failed. But it's also not a decision that happens quickly. I had to engage an an employment legal team. We paid out huge severance packages that took four or five months to finish paying out. And at the same time, we had all these contracts with all these other call them provider, consultancies. So I had to go to all these companies and basically beg to get out of them. And basically all of them did let me, except for Ring Central. Jokes. But all of this was happening. And I just needed that. Let's just shut it all down. Like we had something like 15 articles in process. I just cut all of them and we paid a kill fee to all of the writers who were writing the articles and just said, really sorry. We just stopped because I needed some time to figure it out. And then the first step that I took was I went on 70 podcasts in about a month and a half. I sent a message to our entire community and I said, if you have a podcast, I'd love to appear on it. I don't care if you have zero listeners. I don't care if you create a podcast just to have me on. I want to be on it. And many people did. There was two reasons that I wanted to be on these podcasts. One was just... I want to connect back with our community. I need to just speak to humans again. I had gotten so wrapped up in what I now call human avoidance marketing, which has the acronym HAM, that I needed to just speak to people and listen to what they said. I also needed to talk about what I do over and over again, because I needed to look at their body language as I spoke about what I did. So I spoke about what I did and why it matters to these people. And I would speak about it in different ways with different stories. And I listened to how they responded, but more than anything else, I watched their body language as I responded. And that helped inform what we're doing. A lot of our success with the Personal Trainer Development Center was basically talent scouting. We created this way to identify talent in the fitness industry before they were big names. So we would share the work of a lot of other people. We would publish writers. We were often the first site that would pay writers that were new. And then five or six years later, they're now big names in the industry because there are just certain things that people do where you can identify. You're like, yo, this person hasn't been discovered yet, but they're good. Like you can tell. And somebody who hosts a podcast, I don't care if your podcast has listeners or not, because I'm not looking to get on the podcast to access your audience. I want to get to know you. Because if you have a podcast, it shows me that you're willing to take an extra step to figure out what you're doing. It doesn't take much to be different. Go hiking in any national park in the United States, right? There's one parking lot. There's one main pathway to one viewpoint. 98% of people stop at that viewpoint. 
You go two minutes past that, you got the whole pug to yourself. That 2% are the people who start a podcast. It's not hard to start a podcast, but it's a little, you got to figure out some stuff. So 70 podcast interviews in a few weeks. What else? That was my life for a few months. And then I just needed to create a really simple way to be consistent with content. I had to figure out which platform to be on, first of all. And so I changed my newsletter. I wanted to, my email newsletter, I wanted to keep in constant communication. But I said to people, I'm sending one email a month. Because at the beginning, I needed to just do something that I was going to reliably be able to execute on. So I sent out one email a month to the newsletter because I knew that I could do that. And then I chose one platform to make my central social media platform. And I pretty much ignored everything else. There was some syndication here and there, but I didn't put any pressure on it. I was like, one place is going to be my community. And I decided Instagram for a combination of Instagram is just a good place for the fitness industry. But anyway, Instagram was good for brand, right? For getting shared and it's good for the fitness industry. But I was like, I'm not going to sit here and figure out the best camera. I'm not going to figure out how to make the best reels. I need to play my game. There's a lot of people out there that are trying to play the game of influencer. And the thing is, either some combination of and or you're not good looking enough, you're not good enough at video quality, you're not entertaining enough, you haven't been doing this long enough. At this point now, if you're trying to compete on production quality and entertainment value on social media, you're going up against full production studios of people who grew up with this. You're fucking fucked. You have no chance. Especially in fitness. I mean, especially in your industry, which is really about appearance and all of that. It's just, it's crazy. Like, the quality is mad. So how do you beat Michael Jordan? You sure as hell don't play basketball. You play your own game. And you invite people into your own game that benefits the skills that you bring to the table. And I was like, I can write. I have written over 10 million words for the fitness industry. Without AI. Without AI. I've still never written anything with AI. And so I'm at the point now where I'm fairly confident in saying that I can write as well or better than anybody in my industry, for my industry. And that's not like I'm not naturally talented. That's I've written two to 3,000 words for the fitness industry every year for the last 12 years. You can't not be good at something when you've done it that many times. And so I started, I was like, I, I need the same type of thing as the email, right? I need some way to just get this stuff up all the time. So I just wrote on Twitter, I screenshotted it, and then I posted that on Instagram. I was like, I, this is janky. I don't care. But I also know enough from copywriting and advertising because that's something that you've studied for a long time. I've studied forever. It's often the uglier stuff that actually works better. And what actually matters is the quality of the message. The trappings of the message matters much less than the clarity and the quality of the message. And oftentimes what happens is people get so wrapped up in the trappings of the thing that they forget to pay enough attention on the quality or the trappings diminish the overall clarity and strength of the message. Or you just get so goddamn wrapped up trying to figure out the best lighting for your Instagram reel that you four hours later, you're sitting there with that. So I just started posting on Instagram. I didn't really know what I was going to post about, but I started posting a whole bunch of different messages. And then when stuff worked or a message seemed to hit, I just wrote more about that. And now I'm at the point where 
I have a big enough bank of stuff. It's actually pretty rare that I post new stuff, that I create new content. So now you just repurpose. It's the same. It's just repurposed. Yeah, it's repurposed. The same thing every two or three months. I think this is the best way to end our conversation. Thank you for being so open and honest with me today. I'm sure folks will absolutely love the insights that you share because this is so many. Where can people connect with you? Learn more from you. We talked about all of those stuff, but to summarize. Instagram is the best. At its coach Goodman is the best. I have a podcast. It's called The Obvious Choice. That's also the title of my next book. And we love it if you checked out the podcast. It's if you kind of resonated with some of the themes of what I was talking about here, then I think you'll like the podcast. Well, thanks, man. Once again. Of course. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.